It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and a segment on the podcast at the end where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick will compile them. He will ask them. I will try to answer them to the better have to be sports related. And as always, this podcast is presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, how are we doing this morning, afternoon, morning? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. That's good to hear. Well, let's jump right into it. The Bengals are over 500 for the first time this season at 4-3 and three after a convincing 35-17 win over Atlanta on Sunday. We talked all about it on a recap podcast that was posted on Sunday night. You can go and check that out. The offense was ridiculous, skinny. Joe Burrow almost threw for 500 yards, and the defense didn't allow a touchdown in the second half of the seventh straight game. So much of the conversation so far this season is centered around fixing the issues associated with the offense. It feels like, at least for the last two weeks, the offense has been fixed for the time being. With that said, what's your current biggest concern when it comes to this team, Skinny? Um, I, I still would say injuries to an offensive tackle. Now, we saw Lyle Collins go down for a quarter and a half and Hakeem Adeniji come in and do pretty well, um, but that's not a full game. That's a quarter and a half against a team that doesn't rush the passer very well. Um, I, that, that still concerns me a ton. Um, you know, at some point you get Isaiah Prince back. Is that a good thing, a great thing? As I mentioned, Adeniji played okay, but but to me, that's far and away the, the biggest concern. I would have said an injury at cornerback, but now you're starting to get Cam Taylor, Britt some snaps. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and I think you're going to see probably a changing of the guard sometime after the bye week with him in the lineup. But if you want to tell me Eli Apple's your fourth corner or your, your backup outside corner at that point, I'm okay with that. So I honestly, I, Rick, I don't know if I have a real concern. Yeah, that was the conclusion I was kind of coming to as well. I kept saying, I guess depth, I guess if there's injuries, but the problem with that is what team isn't that true for, for the most part? I mean, there's teams that at certain positions, they can handle an injury better than others. But overall, if your concern is you have a couple of your top players go down, you're in trouble. That goes for every professional sports team in all of sports, not just football. Yeah, I was talking to a couple of guys before the game, a couple of reporters before the game were just shooting the bull. And, and you know, we talked about with the trade deadline looming on Tuesday, what, what would you most like to see the Bengals trade for if they were to make a trade? And I don't think they're going to by any straight. In fact, I can almost assure you they're not going to. And I said, backup swing tackle, maybe an extra corner. Other than that, I really can't say there's anything to trade for because who's giving up a quality tackle? I'm talking about a backup swing tackle. I mean, you, you've probably got that guy on your roster already. Extra corner, you've kind of got those guys on your roster. Are you going give to give up a pick to land a, a fifth corner or a, a fifth offensive tackle? I, I just I don't think so. Yeah, in terms of the guys that they have that are going to play, let's take injuries out of the picture. What are you concerned about with this group at that point? What right. concerns do you have? That That's the thing. And I, I'm not trying to say, oh, they're unbelievable. They're never going to lose another game no, no, or anything no, like no, that. I, but I think we're on the same wavelength with this of, of – um, Again, in order to get something of real value back, if you're telling me you're going to get a star of this, I would say, okay, great, but that's going to cost you this, 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 and this in future capital. You're not doing that. Yeah, I mean, and there's just, I don't know that there's the need. When I look at this team, if the offense is going like it's been going the last two weeks, it is a team that can compete with anyone in the NFL. I don't have big glaring holes that I'm concerned about with this team. And and now that is, you know, to think about how down people were a couple of weeks ago and concerned and understandably. So with the way the offense was going, things have changed really quickly here and you're in an ideal situation. It feels like with this group. Yeah. You know, we even kicked around the idea of, of, of catastrophic situation at wide receiver. Would you like to add some depth there? Again, it's one thing to talk about adding that, but are you going to get a fourth wide receiver now? Um, with your guys, with your three guys healthy and give up a second round pick in the future or a third? No, you're, you're just not. I mean, would, would, would it be nice to have a better fourth receiver than Trent Taylor, Stanley Morgan, Mike Thomas? Sure, it would be nice. But what are you going to have to get up to get that guy? And it's just it's just not worth any of that. So, yeah, I, is it a perfect roster? Of course it's not. But right now you've got multiple starting players. And I think you're seeing, especially on defense, Akeem Davis-Gay, there's a pretty damn good third linebacker, right? He stepped in twice in starting spots, 
and led the team in tackles in both those games. Jay Tufele, he was great in, in his, his role on, on Sunday. Um, again, we saw Cam Tiller-Britt get in for a little bit Sunday. We've barely seen Dax Hill, and you're expecting him to do great things at some point in his career and maybe, you know, at some point this season. I, I don't – I just don't have roster concerns at the moment. I don't either. I think maybe the only one I can point to at the moment is the troubles that they've had against the run over maybe a two or three week span. But even when you look at that, the defense hasn't given up a touchdown in the second half of a game yet. So it's like, how big of a problem is that really? No, and that's, that's, that's the point. I think that's exactly right. And um, you know, it's always fun to speculate about trades. Uh, Everybody loves to do it, but it's in this case for this team, I just don't think it's, it's worth it. Just, Again, I'm not giving up draft capital to get a backup player at this point in the game. I think most people will agree with that. I know there are some names that have been thrown around that that people have been interested in or wanted from a fan's perspective. But like you said, in most cases, one, the need just really isn't there. And two, even if it is, you're not going to give up what you would need to give up to to get someone. Yeah, I, every, Fans always like to, to, to claim, go get this guy. OK, but you're going to have to give something up, knuckleheads. Right. And and one name that's been thrown out there, um, I, Jay Morrison, I believe, is who wrote this earlier this week, was Jackson Carmen. Is there the possibility that you, you move him? And again, not because you want to get something back, I don't think just to get, get him off back. of your roster. Yeah, I just uh, do, yeah. Is there anyone that would take him? Do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, as a developmental player, probably um, a team that's maybe, really in trouble right now on the offensive yeah, line, maybe. And, and I guess then the question is, you know, we don't know the answer to this. Um, do they still hold out hope that, that he's still a developmental player? Um, I can't imagine don't. so. Do you? No, I, I, I can't either in theory. If they're not dressing him, if he's a healthy scratch right now, I have to imagine they've all but given up on him. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the final move will be, if he's on this roster, and I think he will be, is next training camp or offseason and OTAs and all those things, you, you rep him at tackle and, and see if that works, moving back to the position he played in college. No, I don't I'm, know. I don't. I don't. I don't hold out great hope that it's going to work, but I think that's the last ditch solution. He'll be in year three of his initial rookie contract. At that point, you're not talking about a lot of cap space. But even if you cut him after next year, won't be a lot of cap space either. So, or, or actually, before next year begins, won't, won't kill you a lot in dead cap money either. Um, but I, I, I don't think they've fully given up on him yet. I don't. But, but it's certainly trending that direction. I, I would agree with that part. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're talking about trading somebody to somebody else. I could see that. I just don't see the Bengals trading to add to the roster at this point. I just don't. Right. Yeah. It'd be more about just getting rid of a guy like Jackson Carmen for, for a six Bengals. round pick next year or whatever. Sure. I'll do it right now. Yeah. Or you got a bag of footballs over at your facility. <laughs> maybe one of those nice Gatorade jugs that we can, the extra-sized one, you can fit lots of ice in. How about a big pack of pride? And then you can give it to him on the way out the door. I don't know if that's really his thing. Uh <laughs> Injury updates, Skinny. There are were, there were some big ones that we were concerned about coming out of Sunday night's loss, Trey Hendrickson being chief among those. Uh, you also got Logan Wilson lingering, and, of course, DJ Reader is still out there. What what are the updates on those three guys? Yeah, we talked uh, – I asked Zach Mundy about if DJ would be able to play against the Browns, and he said most likely not. I said, would you then probably keep him out you know, until the, after the bye? And he said, I'm not ready to make that declaration yet. It did sound like Logan Wilson's trending more towards playing on Monday. And um, and Trey Hendrickson as well, coming off the, the stinger. The extra day probably helps both those guys. Um, you know, they don't even start practice till Thursday. We're doing this podcast on Wednesday, so they had a couple of extra days off, or, or an extra day off rather this week to kind of let some things heal. So I think we'll know, and fans will know more when you see injury reports and practice participation reports on Thursday and Friday for sure. I mean, if that's the case, that's a pretty positive report right there. If you get two of the three back this week. Yeah. I, I, it, it, I, the way Zach talked last week, I, I thought it was, I think I even said this on one of the podcasts, either the recap podcast or the, the potpourri last week. I, I thought DJ was trending more towards playing in this game, the way it sounded, the way he's been on the, uh, he's moving around. You know, I see him in the locker room. He still has that brace, but he's moving around pretty well. Um, I thought it was trending more in that direction, but I, I think for a lot of, I think a lot of good coaching staffs do this. You, you, you think about one week and you go, let's give him one more week. And I know it sucks because of the Browns are such a good running team. But if, if one more week for DJ Reader health-wise, and even honestly through the Carolina game, through the bye, three more weeks gets him the final eight games healthy, sign me up for it. 
Yeah, that's probably the way to go, especially with a big guy like this dealing with that type of injury. It's like, why rush him back at all? And when you're this close to the bye week to where you can give him that extra rest, I think that makes all the sense in the world. And to your point about playing the Browns, a team that likes to run the ball, they've been playing those types of teams already, right. and they found ways to win without him. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, they they really did do a great job against Atlanta's one game. And, and I, I know Luana Rimmel bristled at us because I, I can't remember how the question was phrased. Uh, about the one drive where they ran it 12 times for 56 yards on that long 10-minute touchdown drive. He said, even on that drive, we did a good job. And if you look back, they did kind of just get a little bit of a push for that drive. They never really busted a long run. We actually had a a, 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 a wager among us in the press box of the time of the game of the first 15-yard Falcons run. Well, guess what? Nobody won the bet because they never had a 15-yard-plus run. And they've been really explosive in their run game this year. So he's right. They really did do a good job against the run in that game because that's really what Atlanta wants to do. Yeah, I mean, they got beat up in that drive, but if if his point is, look, a team's not going to sustainably beat us by driving 16 plays right. at four or five yards a pop, that's a fair argument. I mean, he's not he's not wrong about that. That's a yeah. pretty good recipe for success if they have no explosive plays. Absolutely. 214 yards for the game and 40 yards in the second half. I mean, that defense stuck it to him pretty good. They did. One other thing that I wanted to mention from this week was Zach Taylor made the comment that Joe Burrow belongs in the same conversation as the NFL's elite, such as Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I don't want to get too far into the weeds of this stuff. It's mostly meaningless, but it is getting kind of interesting because the way the season has gone with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And of course, you still got Mahomes and Josh Allen out there doing their thing. Has the first several weeks of the NFL season reshuffled the top quarterback rankings, in your opinion? I think so. And and unfortunately, you have to throw Joe's first performance against Pittsburgh into the negative part of the mix. But kind of like last year when he got slow to get ramped up, once he did, he was more than elite. The fact that Brady and Rodgers are just really struggling, their teams are struggling, um, I, I think it does. I mean, honestly, if, if I had to put the, the, the shuffle together right now for me, I, I've always been a Mahomes guy. I just think the dude's a magician. Um, I'd he's got to be number one. There's yeah, really no I'd, argument against that. No, I'd probably go Mahomes, Josh Allen two, and Joe Burrow two B, only because Josh Allen is is does more with his legs than than Joe does. I could also argue that Joe is a better passer than Josh Allen from an accuracy standpoint. And let's just face facts: Joe Burrow has taken a team to the Super Bowl that Josh Allen has not done that yet, and neither is Justin Herbert. And until Justin Herbert can get a team to the playoffs, he's below Joe Burrow in my mind, and, uh, and be for a long time to come. I'll tell you, I do not understand the the Herbert is better than Burrow talk. He's got it's a huge ma- arm. It's well, just I like get the that. But- thing. It's, he's got a great arm, great, and he's he's a gunslinger, and he does make some ridiculous throws, and he's very, very good. He's in that top tier of quarterbacks, but he's below Joe Burrow, in my opinion. He's talented as heck. There's no doubt about it. But this has been a thing since they were both drafted. Everyone was constantly talking about Justin Herbert being better than Joe Burrow. Okay, fine, whatever. They haven't proven themselves yet. And even after that first year, you could look at Herbert and say, oh, maybe he will end up being the better player. But at this point, after Joe Burrow led his team to a Super Bowl and Justin Herbert's done nothing to speak of yet in his NFL career in terms of team success, you're still going to make that argument. I I just don't understand that at all. To me, he's in that next tier. To me, he's not quite the elite of the elite. He's kind of in that second tier. I would put Burrow moved up into that that tier with Mahomes, Allen. I mean, I think he's legitimately Agreed. right there behind those guys. I, I would say probably right behind Mahomes, and I'm with you. He's he's kind of right there with Allen. I am not ready to write off Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady yet as no longer being elite quarterbacks, but they are like right on the cusp, it feels like, of falling over that cliff. It's just yeah. we've seen before with Tom Brady especially, he can struggle, his teams can play terribly early in the season, and then he finds a way later on. So I'm not quite ready to write either of those guys off just yet, but it does not look good. And I mean, if things continue the way they have been, then uh, I think it's pretty clearly a changing of the guard with those those top three now as, as your main guys. And Herbert kind of just off the radar. And, and if the Chargers have more success this year or next, then you know maybe maybe we'll put him up there in that conversation. Agreed. All right, anything else uh, Bengals-wise or talking about this Browns game that's coming up, Skinny? Yeah, I would just say that the conversation about Eli Apple, Cam Taylor-Britt, um, uh, I thought got interesting when we talked to Luana Rumo on Monday. You remember he talked about not wanting to to rotate corners or, or safeties and, and young guys especially. And we he was asked that on Monday of, you know, what's kind of changed. He said, well, you know, it's in a perfect world, I wouldn't do it, but it's not a perfect world. Um, he also talked about, this seemed to be the perfect spot for it. I think I talked about this on Sunday too. 
you know, up 21 nothing. good chance to get the kids some snaps. That's exactly what Lou said on Monday was that was his plan. If they could get up a, a good team to do that against, he had no preseason snaps. So this gives him a chance for that. And then in the second half, though, when it got a little interesting, when Eli got taken out and, and Cam ends up playing more snaps. Uh, again, I get they're trying to get him snaps, but it just feels like we're cl- inching towards a, a changing of the guard. He was asked about, you know, the plan for, you know, is, is there an open competition? He said he plans to play both of them um, on Monday, and I'm going to guess that'll be the case against Carolina. And then come bye week, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't make a decision one way or the other. I mean, maybe Cam plays awful when he faces a team that throws the ball more than 14 times, or hell, I think they only threw it eight or nine times when he was on the field. But I, it feels like it's just trending in that direction to me. Yeah, when Cam Taylor Britt came in early in that game and and he played most of that drive, and then Eli Apple came back in once the Falcons entered the red zone. Right. It looked a lot like, okay, they're trying to get that guy some snaps with the lead. Makes sense. When the second half started and Cam was just out there for a long extended period and he ends up playing more snaps, it's like, okay, it's feeling like he's knocking on the door and ready to take that job. So Now, Lou, now Lou was asked specifically, you know, how do you think Eli's played? He said he's been fine. Um, yeah. And I think, I think some of this is he's fine, but the upside for Cam Taylor Britt is higher, right? Exactly. Um, and, and at least you, you, you're hoping it's higher. And so if it is, I think this is a way to not completely take Eli Apple's confidence. Cause listen, again, if he's going to be your, your, your main backup outside corner at some point, that means he is one play away from being back in the lineup. Do you want his confidence completely eroded at that point? Of course you don't, but this was always going to be the case. I mean, he was a stopgap signee for goodness sakes. That's what, that's what he was. And if Cam Taylor Britt shows you something, his upside is probably higher, and you would expect it to be higher than Eli Apple's, because we know it is up. We, he's hit his ceiling. And we talked about this a little bit Sunday night, but with both Cam Taylor Britt and Dax Hill, these guys getting on the field right now speaks to their level of talent and the upside that exists. It doesn't speak to, oh, Eli Apple's been terrible. You got to get him off the field. The Bengals' defense has been very good, and they've yes. been very consistent here to start the season, which isn't something that really happens very often in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's all about the upside that those young guys present. And and your point about Eli Apple and his confidence is a good one, Skinny, because let's face it, he's kind of a combustible guy. Sure. He's a little bit cuckoo on social media and how he carries himself. And he's obviously had his issues in the past from a, a football perspective. So it's like, you're right. I mean, I don't if you take that job away from him. Does he stay locked in and finish off the year in the right way, or do you completely lose him? And he goes off the deep end. He's tweeting at his coaches on social media. That's a possibility, quite no, right. And, and, so. and then, and then, unfortunately, if Cheeto gets hurt or or Cam Taylor Britt gets hurt at that stage, then you're now to Trey Flowers or Jalen Dano. You don't want that. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's they gotta kind of be careful with how they do it to some extent, and I think they are doing that. But I, I think every piece of Cam Taylor Britt getting into the lineup as soon as he is is about his upside and the talent that he possesses and, and what he could be. And it's not about, Hey, we're really struggling out here with Eli Apple. Right. Exactly. All right. Let's switch gears to college football, new AP poll, Ohio state still number two and Kentucky and Cincinnati are back to back at 19 and 20 right now. Kentucky was on a bye last week. They have a huge game this week against Tennessee. We can talk more about that coming up here in a second. UC beat SMU 29 to 27. UC got up 17 nothing early in this one, but they didn't score another touchdown after the 1334 mark of the second quarter. They're only up 20 to 14 at halftime. And then in the third quarter, they controlled all the action, but they end up having to settle for three field goals. It took a 29 14 lead in the final six minutes of the game. And then that's when disaster struck. If you were back at the Bearcats from a betting perspective, <laughs> me being one of those people, they're up by 15 until the final six minutes of the game. Uh, good news is they hang on to win. The bad news is they collapsed down the stretch with silly penalties. The offense continued to sputter and they allowed SMU to score two touchdowns in the final five plus minutes to make it a 29 27 final. I had the Bearcats minus three skinny. I also had that for multiple units. I also had them parlayed with Ohio state minus 29 for multiple units. And, uh, that really would have got me back on track. Had a great weekend other, other than that but missed out on the big hit there. So uh, I think the big concern coming out of this game, if you're a UC fan, is the offense, the play calling, the sputtering on third down. 
if you're not getting the big splash plays that they've had a lot this year, quite honestly, it feels like this team struggles to keep drives going. It does. And, and I mean, especially in, in seems like short yarded situations, uh, you know, Charles McClellan runs for 129, 8.1 a pop, and that looks great, right? Well, 76 came on the one touchdown run. He's 15 for 53 otherwise. That's not great. Corey Kiner only averaged 3.3 a pop. It's even worse if you take out his 22-yard run. It's 12 for 21 yards. And and if you're not going to run the ball consistently, it's going to be hard to, 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 to sustain drives, and, and they couldn't. You know, I guess the silver lining that came out of this is the fact that Ryan Coe makes five field goals, right? Yeah, because that's something you didn't have the last couple of years. Exactly. You can make field goals to save your life. So exactly. that was impressive. A couple of those were good distances, too. I think he had one from 50 or 50, over 50. Yeah, he had the wind behind him, 52, I believe, with the wind behind him. Yeah, but still. Um, but yeah, but still, no, you're right. And he had the one blocked where he was trying to kick it in the wind. And I'll give Jim Kelly on radio credit. He called that because he said, he, you know, where he's kicking it from, you're going to have to drive it low. And that usually means you're in an area to get it blocked. And it was certainly blocked. Yeah, I, I think the disappointing part is, it just felt like UC was significantly better as you watched that game, and yet then you had to hold on for dear life. Now, there was, a, in my opinion, a horrible pass interference penalty on an interception that would have squelched uh, the, the, the second SMU touchdown drive and probably would have led to the, to the final score being 29-21. But, Trust you know, me, that was a killer call in this house. Yeah, no question, no question. But, you know, for the most part, you would rather have your offense close the game out as opposed to, you know, Open to God, your defense can hold on because that's what happens sometimes. Officials just get caught up in moments and they make wacky calls and it sucks. But you had a chance to close that game out yourself with your offense and you couldn't do it. There are a couple things that went on with the offense. And part of it is the run game, like you talked about. It's okay, you get some some big plays that you break wide open for the long touchdown. But then when it comes down to like third and one, fourth and short, they struggle to pick up those yards when teams know they're running. Look, we've talked about Evan Prater before, and every time we do it, you're completely against him, the idea of him playing. But I do wonder, a lot of fans have been clamoring for, at least in these short yardage situations, can't there be some type of package to make it more interesting? Especially when they had that drive where they start running run-pass options right. with Ben Bryant, and they try a quarterback draw with Ben Bryant. That's not his skill set. He can't do that. No, he's a drop-back passer. You're right. He's a drop-back passer. He has no mobility. You're wasting downs when you do that. And again, you get in these short yardage situations, you can't run the ball. You have an extra runner back there with a guy like Evan Prater. It makes it more interesting. Do you think there should be some type of packages that incorporates Evan Prater, especially in those short yardage situations? I I do now. I I think that's fair because he does give you the threat to, to run it. Um, well, I don't think he's a great passer. He still is a, he's a quarter college quarterback that can complete passes. I mean, if I'm, if I'm asking him to make a read option or even an RPO on a third and short, can he throw one to one of his two NFL caliber tight ends out in the flat because everybody's, you know, worried about him running or worried about him giving it off on a dive or, or giving off on the, on the read option play. There's just, there's so many bells and whistles going on in that circumstance. I think it's really stresses defenses out. It, it, with Ben Bryant, he is no threat to run in those situations. If you are going to run it, it's going to be a traditional running play, probably between the tackles. Um, I would like to see them maybe roll Ben Bryant out on a bootleg more. And, 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 and again, that stresses the defense where he can hit one of those tight ends on some of those third and shorts just to mix it up. But yeah, I, I'm, I, I think I'm okay with a, with an Evan Prater package in that circumstance. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think you got to start incorporating. It almost feels like Gino Gadulli and Luke Fickle are intentionally teasing the fan base or trolling the fan base at this point. Some of the no, calls right. that they had in the short yardage situations, it's like, just put Evan Prater back there. Oh, what are, what are right. we doing here? You're getting way too complicated with some of the stuff. And that, I mean, the fact that they're, they're struggling to involve their talented tight ends much at all in the passing game. And I know Ben Bryant is a, is a better passer according to everyone than Evan Prater, but every time they play someone good, I don't know. I mean, but you're also getting in a lot of third unmanageables too. And I, I don't care who the quarterback, that's just hard. Well, part of that's like the, that. on the quarterback too. Like, I mean, now there were some drops in this game. It's not all on Ben Bryant, but uh, I mean, the passing game was not impressive in this game. It wasn't impressive against well, Arkansas. And I'm not trying to make excuse. I mean, the wind was a factor both ways. Well, you know, everyone kept saying that, but I'll be damned if they weren't, didn't have any trouble kicking field goals in it. Well, if, if you can I, kick all these field goals and field goals from 50 yards, is it really that hard to yeah. pass in it? Well, you got the wind at your back. I mean, that helps. And well, you know, I mean, you had the wind at your back part of the time when you were pl- playing quarterback. I, I, well. I think it's. I think it's real. I think you saw both teams have issues with that. I think it's a lot harder to throw it than it is to kick it in the wind. 
fair enough. But I mean, it's not wind every game. And he's been pretty inconsistent at times. I just, I just don't think that Ben Bryant is the passer that people who defend him and say Evan Prater shouldn't play seem to think he is. Now, I'm not saying Evan Prater is a better passer, but he is more dynamic as an athlete overall. There's no and, doubt about that. And, and look, and I know Luke Fickle, his his MO has been to be stubborn about these things, and it paid off big time for him with Des Ritter. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I know more than Luke Fickle does about the situation. I understand why he's doing what he's doing, but you have to be curious, I think, at this point, well, at least you, if you're a UC fan. You certainly have a weapon of an athlete in Evan Prater. And, and it, again, it wouldn't bother me if they gave him a second quarter series. They've obviously chosen not to do that. Um, but, yeah, if you want to get in that package for some short yardage stuff, I mean, if that gets him five to eight snaps a game and that sustains another two or three drives a game, I mean, that, that's a huge difference. Turning field goals into touchdowns in this game gets you to the 40-point plateau. Yeah, and puts it out of question. And most importantly, means you cover the three points. That's what matters to you. Yeah, that's absolutely. what matters to you. Yeah, that's why I'm all worked up. I, I think what really what bothered me was the lack of change from an offensive perspective coming out of the bye week. I just thought we'd they were already kind of struggling with that, especially some of the short yardage things, the run game being consistent. And we just saw nothing new. And in fact, it was, I thought the play calling was pretty bad. I think think Gino Gadouli is is going to come under some pressure here this year if they don't get this offense rolling the right way. Yeah, I still it, some of the meat to me. It's just it's just they just are weird when they get in this conference. It's just I I guess it's because they're such a big target. I, I don't know. It just it just feels weird. The dynamic. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if we'll talk about it in our betting segment if they go to UCF and somehow roll them by two touchdowns because it's a game that matters. I, I don't disagree with you there. I do not disagree with you there. And we'll talk more about our picture of that game coming up. Let's move on to Ohio State who beat Iowa fifty four to ten. The Buckeyes outscored the Hawkeyes 28-0 in the second half. I know this is a top 15 matchup coming up this Saturday with Penn State, and they're trying to hype it up on TV and all of that. But, Skinny, do you honestly view this Ohio State-Penn State matchup as a big one? I do, just because it's on the road. I mean, that, and we'll talk more again in the gambling segment about it. But, yeah, it, it's, it's it's on the road. Their only loss is to Michigan. They got steamrolled by Michigan on the road. So, back at home, it, it, anytime you play a home game in college football, to me, there can be a big difference um, but I don't think it's going to matter. I just think this Ohio State offense is just – they didn't even play very well on Saturday, in my opinion. They still rolled up 54 points. I, I said it when we talked in our gambling segment. This this was the bet of the year times 50 because Ohio State was going to get enough stops to get more possessions, and despite not playing great, they still hung 54 on, on Iowa, and, and if they'd have kept playing another quarter, they would have scored probably 28 more points. I mean, they just – that offense was, it was just a perfect storm of a terrible Iowa offense against a really good Ohio state defense that did exactly what I thought it was going to do. And then you give that offense a handful more opportunities. They're going to start hanging some numbers on you. And they did. Yeah. The, the Ohio from a betting perspective, the Ohio state UC game couldn't have been any different. Like if you were on Ohio state side, you're wondering, okay, are they going to get to that 40 point spread at some point? Are they going to really put this one away? And then it'd be like, Iowa throws another interception. You know, it's just like everything you needed in that Ohio State Iowa game happened in your favor. Iowa's passing game is so bad. Exactly like it should have. Iowa's just horrible on offense. Yeah, their passing game is a joke. I mean, they were changing quarterbacks. It didn't matter who was in there. They were still just turning the ball over. And even if they weren't, they had nothing in terms of positive yardage. And it couldn't happen to a nice guy. Kirk Ferentz seems like just an absolute asshat scumbag piece of crap. Well, that just seems to be their thing there. They've got the same thing on the basketball side. Right. Just clown shows. Uh, I'll say I'm much more excited about Tennessee UK than I am Ohio State Penn State. Uh, I think both. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly more excited about Ohio, uh, about Kentucky Tennessee as a Kentucky grad, but I, I'm, I'm interested in Ohio State Penn State. I, I I I'm looking forward to talking about when we get to the betting segment because I've, I've I've got an opinion on on the line in that game. Fair enough. We can talk more about it. I just I do not think Penn State's a top 15 team in the country, and the problem is maybe they are. But the separation yes. between the top no, five and the top ten is like so significant. I mean, to me, Penn State's going to finish this season, in my opinion, ten and two, and the two 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 games will probably be blowout losses to Michigan, and Ohio State. Right. I uh, just, I mean, we've already seen it with Michigan, and it's like you you think they're going to keep it closer against Ohio State, maybe because they're at home. But I just, I don't know. I do not see it. Any other thoughts on Kentucky, Tennessee, though, before we switch gears here? This is a, a massive game. Obviously, we'll talk about our picks coming up, but we've got a little college basketball to get to as well. I do know the bye week had to help. That's all I know. It, it had to help. Yeah, they, they were a little nicked up. Uh, I think they needed some time to figure some things out in, in terms of how they're going to attack with people being back and healthy and uh, 
full full C rod ready to go and and have him rolling now. So it's going to be two very contrasting styles going at it. Yes. All right. Let's get on to college basketball. Uh, Xavier held Musketeer Madness on Friday. UTEP grad transfer Sule Boom was four for four from three point range in the inner squad scrimmage and led all players with 16 points. Jack Nunji finished second in scoring with 13 points, including a couple of lobs that he dunked. The Musketeers will take on Vanderbilt, a secret scrimmage this Sunday. Uh, I guess a good sign for Xavier fans that uh, Sule Boom got off to a, a good shooting start because that's that's what they need on this this lineup and this roster, Skitty, was someone who could make some shots. Secret scrimmage. Everybody loves secret scrimmage. Yeah, no, I, that's the, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you you, you didn't want to see um, a team that's going clank from three point range again and going here we go again. Yeah, and I mean, there's no guarantee that they won't still be that team overall, but at least the guy, the main guy you brought in to help with that, got off to a good start in in his first public appearance. I mean, an inter squad scrimmage means less than no- if secret scrimmages mean nothing. The inner squad scrimmage at Musketeer Madness means less Correct. than nothing. But again, I mean, it's the fir- fans' first look at him. Always a good sign to see the guy shoot the ball well. And then NKU beat Division II Tiffin 83-55 in Monday night's exhibition game. I think the story of that night was the play of their Division II grad transfer point guard, Xavier Rhodes, who he got the start. Uh, looked like the best player on the floor, quite honestly. He was all over the place, super fast. He is not a shooter from the outside, but he was getting to the rim, lots of drives and kicks setting up some of their shooters on the perimeter. So uh, a good start for NKU's new point guard as well, both Xavier and NKU getting the grad transfer point guards and getting some production early out of them. The uh, Norse will travel to Transy for an exhibition on Tuesday. Yeah. I think that's, is that the flood relief game? I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who did they end up starting? I didn't even look at the box score. Did they start end up starting basically four guards? Yeah, I mean, they, they basically did what they did last year where Trayvon Faulkner was at the four. So you had the new point guard, Xavier Rhodes. You had Marquez Warwick. You had Sam Vinson. You had Trayvon Faulkner. And then they started Chris Brandon at the center position. Yeah, okay, there we go. Okay. Yeah, so the two big things about watching it was, one, you got to see Xavier Rhodes play for the first time. And then Emmanuel Zorgval, who was a, a seven-footer from Suriname who redshirted last year, he's going to be the backup center this year, at least the way it looked in this exhibition game. So uh, we got a chance to see him as well. He was a little shaky at first, but they ran some sets for him, got him a a couple of baskets around the rim. So he did some good things. We'll see how that develops. I think that's going to be a a storyline going forward to start the year. And then uh, Cincinnati had their secret scrimmage against Ohio, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, which we talked about on last week's show. They will play their second secret scrimmage this weekend against Purdue. And Kentucky will host Missouri Western State on Sunday. So lots of uh, preseason action there. I do have a question for you, Skinny, here. Which local college basketball team has the most intriguing futures odds to win their conference, in your opinion? We've got NKU with the best odds on the Horizon League at plus 200. Nope. We've got Kentucky, the best odds in the SEC at plus 180. Nope. We've got Xavier. Third best odds, tied for third best odds in the Big East with UConn at plus 500. Mm, that doesn't, yeah, that, that's it. Just five to one? Just wait, dude. That's This is why it's hard. Cincinnati, third best odds in the American at plus 1,000 or 10 to one. As goofy as it sounds, I think I'm going Kentucky. So <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing. You see those odds initially and you're like, no chance. But then you get, like the problem with Xavier is at just five to one, no, I don't think they have much of a chance of winning the Big East, quite honestly. And five to one isn't worth the the squeeze there to sit on that money for all that time. You, you, and you see, I love the ten to one. Except, no offense, I you know even if they're really good, they're not beating Houston. The, the gulf between them and Houston in terms of what the final record is going to be, I feel is very significant. I mean, I just can't see you see even at ten to one odds. It's I cannot see UC being in that conversation to win the conference. I can see and them I, being second, but I can't see them winning it. Yeah, and I'm not going to prove to be an expert on the Horizon League. I know enough about it, but I, I don't know enough to think that, that, that NKU is that much of a favorite just at two to one odds. If NKU was more like three to one as opposed to Kentucky at yeah. plus 180, I might be more interested in the NKU pick because I do think that they have a, a good chance to win the Horizon League this year. But the problem is there's four, maybe even five teams with a decent chance to win the Horizon League, and you're all playing for one week in March. So, it's not necessarily the same 
you got to win every game mentality when you're in the season, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to figure things out to get yourself in position to win one week in March. The rest of the conferences, they're, they're jockeying for those at-large bids during their regular season, during their conference games. So it's a little bit different how that's handled. I think Kentucky is, is probably, I wouldn't say they're a sure thing to win the SEC, but they're a heavy favorite. Yeah, I, I yes, agree. I mean, they're picked fourth in the country for goodness sakes, and you're giving me almost two to one for them to win the conference, and it's a good conference. Don't I? I, I get that part of it, but yeah, I, I think their odds are the ones I take. That's funny. I did the same thing as you, though. You look through them and you go, okay, NKU has the lowest odds, Kentucky has the lowest odds in their conference, no and no. But then you look at their Xavier and you see odds, and you're thinking, man, that's just a not enough, not enough of a payoff for two teams that I really don't feel have a chance to win their conference this year. So. Yeah, then you end up going back to NKU and Kentucky as the favorites and just not a great year for futures bets locally, I guess, is what we're coming to the conclusion here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get on to our betting picks. Last week, I was five and one. You were two and four. Uh, it brings us to we. I've gained a game on you again. I'm 31, 24 and one overall. You are 30, 25 and one. Both of us. Showing profit, I um, that's what 54, 55% for me. Yeah, You're at like 53 yeah, over the long run. That's that's how you would grind out a profit. That's right. Don't, All don't, right. Believe, don't believe the touts that are nine and one every week, they're just not. That just doesn't happen. The Buckeye, actually, actually, hang on, though. I was two and four, but I did hit my remember, I hit my my off my, my best bet. That's true. We uh, we should mention that your commander's pick was a brilliant one, Thank you. and you also tried to talk me out of. UC as my pick of the week and going with Ohio State minus 29, which I yes. should have listened to you on. That's so. all right. That's all yeah, right. You owned that segment. Um, let's go to Saturday at noon. Ohio yep. State at Penn State. Buckeyes are 16-point favorite. The total is 61. What do you got on this game? Yeah, so so as I mentioned before, I, I don't mind the hype for this game. It makes sense. It's a one-loss Penn State team playing at home against the number two team in the country. It deserves the that kind of a hype. But you know what that line looks like to me? They're begging you to play Penn State at home, just begging you. And I think Ohio State just steamrolls them. I don't think Penn State's good enough on offense. Um, I'm going to go Ohio State. I'll go Ohio State 45-17. So is that just barely under or is that barely over? That would be 62. That's just over, right? Uh, Yeah, 45-17 Ohio State. I think they win this game by, you know, they'll, it'll be obviously, you know, you'll, you'll feel bad in, in the first quarter with 7-7 probably, and you're wondering when they're going to get st- – they'll get rolling. They'll get rolling. I mean, I guess the way I look at it is I understand Michigan was at home when they played Penn State, but that score was 41-17. Do you really yeah, feel I, comfortable? Yeah, I can argue, though. It was, it, 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 it was 17-16 though, early in the second half, Penn State on top. I mean, I watched that whole game. I didn't feel like it was ever in question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized no, that was I, the I'm score, but you. it felt like Michigan was kicking their ass the entire game. Yes, no, I, I'm with you. I can't pick a smaller spread than what Michigan beat Penn State by. I just don't believe that in my heart of hearts. Um, there are a lot of interesting total trends that we've got locally here. Uh, the over is hitting five straight Ohio State games. Penn State is also five and two to the over. I definitely like the over in this game. I'm going to go Ohio State 52, Penn State 20. So we're both wow. on OSU and the over here. Saturday at 3.30, we've got UC as a one-point favorite at the bounce house playing Central Florida. The total is 56. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to roll with UC until somebody in the league tells me otherwise and shows me otherwise. You can show me you can be close. You can show me that you can play with. You can show me UC can stub its toe and keep teams hanging around, but when when it matters most, they they, they win. And so I'm going to stick with UC here. Um, I'll go Bearcats. 37 28. 37 So that is an easy over. That's 65. So you see, and the over for you. Uh, they burned me last week by not covering that three. And as mad as I am, I uh, still have to take them. I'm, I'm with you. I buy into the whole, I don't know, boredom probably isn't the right word for it, but there's just something weird about playing in this conference that stinks that they've dominated the last few years. And that close game last week is what it is against SMU. This game means a lot to UC. And I would th- think Central Florida feels like UC's biggest rival at this point, right? In football? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I uh, this is this is a big game for them. I'm going to say Cincinnati 27, UCF 21, UC and the under for me. 
also worthy of note again with the totals after starting hot with four straight overs uc games have gone under three straight times and ucf is two and five to the under this year so uh something to keep an eye on saturday at seven o'clock kentucky at tennessee the vols are a 12 and a half point favorite the total is 63 and a half all right, people, you can tune me out on this one because I'm going heart overhead probably. I'm going to go Kentucky 35-31. This is the first game that Tennessee now plays with a target on its back. I, I, I don't count last week because UT Martin was never going to make that a game, right? But this is the first game where they're going to be the one that's kind of the hunted and the chased with something on the line to play for, which is to stay in the college football playoff hunt. And, oh, by the way, they're playing a, a really good Kentucky team that can play defense. This is probably, I mentioned, I include Ohio, Alabama in this group. This might be the best defense that Tennessee has faced. Tennessee gives up points to a lot of people. I think Kentucky can get in that 30-point range. I'm going to go Kentucky 35-31 with a road upset. All right, so you got UK winning outright, but for the purpose of our pick em, it's UK and the over is the pick, and they just need to cover 12 and a half. Yes, correct. Which is important because I do not agree with you about UK winning this game. But when I look at that number 12 and a half, I do think they can cover that number. I mean, you're telling me they can lose this game by 10 and I'm still going to win my bet. I like my odds in that. I also like the idea of cheering for UK in this game. So part partly I'm going a little hard overhead here too. UK is a huge under team though. They're one and six, the under Tennessee, a big over team, five and two to the over. All their totals have been over 62 points this year. This one is set at 63 and a half. So Two contrasting styles. You feel like UK is going to be ma- be able to match Tennessee and get up into that 30-point range. I'm going the opposite way with this. I think Kentucky's probably not going to win this game, and if it goes well for Kentucky to the point that they're in that position, I don't think it's because the score was in the, the mid-30s. I think it's because they kept it lower scoring and a lower possession game. I'm going to well, go Tennessee know this. You, 31, you, Kentucky 21. Okay, that's fair. I think that was that sounded like the number you were going to go with, in my opinion. Um I will say this, Kentucky is going to milk the play clock. I can almost guarantee you that to slow things down because Tennessee wants to play at hyper speed. That's the thing. You just don't want to let Hooker get more chances. They're going to try to bottle him up and not let him break off those big runs, which they've been great at. You saw what they did to Anthony Richardson in Florida, keeping a mobile quarterback in and, and contained in that regard. And you want to try to limit his opportunities to make those big passing plays. So. Uh, I think Kentucky's going to go with the ball control style and try to keep as low scoring as possible. So we'll see on the, I, I like your pick on UK. I just don't know about that over pick. I'm going under then Monday night, eight 15. We've got Bengals at the Browns. Bengals are a three and a half point favorite. The total is 47. What do you got on this one? Skinny? The Browns have just completely melted down, man. And, and the thing is that's scary about this game with the point spread is they play so many close games lost by three to the Ravens. Two to the Chargers had a chance to maybe win that game. Uh, three to the Falcons, one to the Jets in that wacky game they gave away. Um, but, you know, this, this we can argue running game and all that, but, you know, they're down David and Joku. Uh, they're down a linebacker. It's Jacoby Brissett. It's the Bengals playing better with, with a healthy offense f- fully intact. I, I think they go up and they, they bury the Browns season. Um, the, I, this feels like a convincing spot for me. I'll go Bengals 31-20. That's the exact same score I have. Dead, dead on 31-20. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's funny. We're both on the Bengals and the over here. Browns have been an over team. They're 5-2 and two to the over. They go up 38 to New England at home two weeks ago and 30 to the Chargers at home the week before that. So I love the over in this game at 47 with the, Bengals, the way the Bengals have been rolling on offense. I'm with you. I mean, it, it's tough to, when the Browns have lost this many games in a row. You, you want to think, you know, are, are you sure the Bengals are going to cover here? But I, I go the opposite way. I think they're going to bury them just like you said and win convincingly. And the Brown season is going to be over at this point, And they can start figuring out what they're going to do with their quarterback situation going forward and who they're going to draft for next year. Yeah. Well, they got Deshaun Watson coming back and they owe him a lot of money. So they ain't drafting anybody, unfortunately, for them. Well, not, not a quarterback, but they've yeah. got to figure oh, out well, what yeah. they're going to do with a yes. high draft pick yes. to go with Deshaun Watson for yes, next year. Is my point. Yeah, yeah correct. I mean, I, I just don't see the I, I don't see the Browns beating the Bengals in, the, in this spot. All right, I got my best bet of the week, Rick. You ready? I am. Four o'clock. You can watch it on SEC Network if you get it. It is South Carolina at home, laying four to Missouri. I'm puzzled by this number. I, I, if you'd have told me to set a line for this game, I would have said South Carolina by at least eight. Missouri's coming off a home win over Vandy, 17-14. I know that they lost to Georgia in a close game. 
I know they lost to Auburn in a close game, but South Carolina, honestly, is pretty legit in my opinion. They're rolling right now. They've won four straight games, including beating Kentucky at Kentucky, beating Texas A&M at home. I know they got blown out by Georgia early in the year, but this just feels like just the number just seems extraordinarily low to me. I think South Carolina wins by double digits, to be quite frank. That number is legitimately surprising looking at it. I I like that pick a lot. You know what game is just absolutely disgusting? Iowa Northwestern. College or pro? College. Iowa oh, Northwestern. On, where's it at? Where's it at? Uh, 3.30, you know? 3.30 on Saturday at Iowa. At Iowa. I was an 11-point favorite. And the was I won't score 11. That's, that's a thing. It's like, I, I don't know how you get that big of a spread between these two teams. I also... The, the, the total has to be 37, but... The total has to be under 38. It's 37. What's the total? It's got to be... What, what is the total? 37. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it, I'll, that is an I'll, extremely I'll low 15, number. 10 Iowa. It's an extremely low number, but I also... there. I mean, I, I really want to pick the under in that game, right? Yeah, no, right. Just just because... Or honestly, bet it up to 38 and a half. You'll be good. Just a little bit of extra juice. <laughs> that's not a bad call right there. Um, yeah, you know what? That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna take the under up to 38 and a half in Northwestern Iowa and uh, just watch that crap fest. Yes. Oh, my Lord. That's just a that's bad on so many, so many fronts. All right. Let's go to ask any anything. Got a handful of questions to get through right. here. Fire away. I'm ready, Ridley. Start with a story that somebody sent us that they wanted your comment on, Skinny. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Cody Hartman, 32 was arrested by Cincinnati police at the Banks Entertainment District outside Paul Brown Stadium after getting naked and trying to fight fans who were out celebrating the Bengals' 35-17 win over the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. According to a police report, Hartman took off his clothes, exposed he put his, him back on. He refused to put him back on. Exposed his privates and then decided he'd try to fight Randall people who passed by. Police say they caught Hartman red-handed on a city police camera mounted on a pole. Oh, dear Lord. Skinny, your thoughts on our guy Cody Hartman, who is... Uh, just a couple years younger than me out here fighting people naked. I can only imagine when he sobered up the next day and kind of recalled what he did the day before, right? We've all done stupid stuff, and then you go, oh, did I really do that yesterday? Oh, I did, didn't I? Now, I've never gotten naked and tried to fight people, mind you. We've all done those stupid things where you do. You literally wake up, and you're kind of laying there. You're in a fog, and you go, did I really? And then you go, yeah, I really. And so... I just can only imagine when he woke up the next morning, the thoughts that were going through his head, right? Now, I'd like to think that. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, there are some people who have dived a little farther into this guy's background. And I think on maybe Saturday, so the game was on Sunday, on Saturday night or maybe Friday night, sometime during this weekend, he had also been going to that Bengals game with Sharpie still, faded Sharpie still all over his face from a drunken night earlier the weekend where people had wrote Biden and all types of other my man messages. Then my man needs some help. Yeah. I don't think this is a unusual occurrence for him to wake up and, and maybe be in the drunk tank. The, how, how about I'll the guy this. that got his, got his head, head uh, bounced off of uh, the picnic tables outside the, the Holy grail. Yeah. How about that guy? They were just dribbling his forehead, like a bat or the back of his head, like a basketball off of the, uh, the picnic tables out there. Huh? But this guy, I'll, I'll say this, the, the, guy got, the guy who got naked and wanted to fight everybody, there's only one punishment that's needed here. You just take that video of him naked and exposed that was on the uh, security footage, and you just play it at the big screen loop? down there. On, on, on a loop? At the banks on a loop. Yeah, you don't need to put him in jail. The problem is that may scare a bunch of people into sobriety, and, and they won't get as much business. Well, I don't I know. Just, I think I'd, I think I'd need to be drunk for if I saw that. They look up and they go, oh. That could be me. Uh, yeah, you can take this drink from me now, sir. Have a good night. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you see that video and you want to drink more. Pretty yeah, maybe. sure. Maybe. Or you just want to, want to turn away from it. All right, oh, Skitty. Would, would you rather be the worst professional athlete in the world in one of the big sports or the best in one of the niche ones like curling, badminton, etc.? See, I don't know what those would pay, though. I think it all comes down to if I'm the worst in, in a – in one of the big sports and still get paid a handsome sum, whereas opposed to in the niche sports, not getting paid. I think it all comes down to what you, what, what, what can I get from a pay perspective off of that? Yeah. I, I think that's the first question you asked, but for me, it's still probably going to be, be the worst in one of the big sports. Cause at least for me now, if, if you did this, assuming 
you would probably love one of those niche sports that you participated in. So it'd be a little bit different, but I don't. So if it were for me, I would have, I'd much rather be able to do the thing I enjoy doing and love while making several hundred thousand dollars a year at the league minimum than playing, you know, curling or badminton every well, day. Well, hell, league minimums. Some of those guys are the 10th, 11th guys on NBA rosters that are DNP coaches decisions. A lot of nights they're making a pretty good piece of change for that. I, I, I'd sign up for that if I could. That's what I'm saying. You're talking several hundred thousand dollars for league minimum in most professional sports, the big ones. So what's the name? What, what's the name of the club? Uh, uh, it was a former player. Scott Hastings termed it the whatever the trillion club where he would play one minute and then have all zeros. Yeah, it was Mark Titus from Ohio State did the club trillion blog thing. Yeah, he was club trillion. Yeah, yeah he club popularized club trillion. Yep. Club trill. Uh, I, I think that's one of the best jobs you can get is being a non-famous professional athlete. No question. Right. If you're the last guy on the bench, no one knows you. You still get to play a game every day, go to practice every day for a living. And then if you want to go out with your wife on the weekend or want to go to the movies or, or something, no or one knows. Si- or, if, or if you're single, you're still going to shoot and score enough. I got a feeling. Oh, yeah, for sure. But like the second that you don't want it to be that thing, you can go out and be a normal guy and no one. Know- I mean, hell, John right. Stockton used to walk around and no one knew who the hell he was sometimes. So Good it's point. like if you were the if you were the backup quarterback, a third string quarterback or, uh, you know, uh, the guy who runs a uh, punt team or something, no one's going to know. You're right. You got a helmet on. <laughs> uh, you are forced to play in one NFL game, Skinny. What position would you be right now? You at this stage of your life, what where, where can they put you? Where you could survive. Personal protector, maybe. Actually, you know what? Gunner on the punt team. Because <laughs> here's the thing. I, I think I can still run enough. Certainly not at that level, but I can still run enough. And most punts have what happened to them. What happens on most punts? Fair, fair catch. Yeah. Well, that's you should be on kickoff team because they're all just touchbacks. Yeah, but kickoff team, though, you still got somebody that might have a bounty out for you. You never know. Yeah, well, you know what you do there, Chief? As the ball's sailing through the back of the end zone, you just sprint to the sideline and get the hell yeah, out of the way. Yeah, but if, if you watch these kickoff coverage teams with that false hustle where they all run down to the goal line because you got to run through the play when the yeah. play's been whistled dead for 15 seconds, I just, I would, I'd kind of be that guy at about the 40 going, it's through the end zone already. You guys keep running. I'm heading to the sideline. Yeah, I'd be roll blocking dudes flying down. I'd just take out their ankles. But I, I think, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I think I could actually do if you were required to make a play is I th- like I wouldn't be good. I would be like the Mitchell Wilcox of the NFL, but I think I could do a long snap in a game if I had to. I've tried it. It's hard. I, I did it in high school and okay. I, w- I was good at it, um, but I, I'm not at all comparing that to the NFL and saying I, I would be good at the NFL. But I'm saying if there was one thing where it's like, hey, you have to make a play here, you have to touch the ball and be involved. That would be the thing I would do is long snapping. I think holding I get it holding would be too nerve wracking, dude. I could hold. Yeah, I could hold. Yeah, that'd be too nerve wracking for me. Yeah, I, I yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I've, I I always feel like that Tony Romo game. It's going to happen to somebody else at some point where it's just it just sneaks through your hands at the key moment of key moments. Oh, well, that, that thing's coming back there pretty hot. For it the is record. coming like, back there pretty it's, hot. It's not slow, and you got to you got to catch it, get it down, spin it, and I don't know. I just that's a lot. <laughs> So, so when we did our show Beyond the Stripes uh, for the Enquirer, um, we would usually do some contests with our guests. I did outpass Hugh Jackson in a passing contest. But before I did, Mark Harris was a guest. And another reporter who I won't name because I don't want to incriminate. Those that may listen to the podcast may know this story already and know who I'm talking about. So what they you did already, they had you've already back. told it on this podcast before. Did you got to okay. say the name. All right, Joe Reedy. I love Joe. Joe, yeah. sorry. but He's not going to hear. The last person on earth who's listened to our podcast Probably is right. Joe Reedy. And, and Clark snapped one back, and it didn't go so well for Joe. Yeah. Well, Joe, if you don't remember what he looks like, is kind of a short, um, cantankerous man with glasses and a goatee. He is the best, though, man. He's an angry little guy, but I love him. Angry little guy and not, you know, doesn't exactly look like an athlete. Um, so but yeah, a good reporter, very good reporter, very good reporter, but him catching a, a football right off his face and his glasses was quite the visual is, is what I'm getting. Yes. At. All right. Uh, your, uh, some Halloween questions for you, skinny. What's your oh, favorite boy. candy? I'm a Kit Kat guy. Really? Kit Kat. Yeah. Big Kit Kat guy. Might be the first time I've ever heard someone say that. Really? Yeah. Is their I'm, favorite. Yeah. No, I, I do. That's probably you, that's yeah, from a candy bar perspective. That's that's kind of a go-to for me if I'm getting a candy bar. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm a big Hershey's just milk chocolate guy. Like I, I can 
I can, I usually have a big, one of those big chocolate bars and I'll, you know, chop off a corner here and there and have it as, as, you know, like a dessert piece. Uh, but yeah, if it was just a candy bar itself, Kit Kat for sure. Do you break them apart one by one or do you do the savage thing and just take like a giant bite out of the whole block? I've done it all, Rick. You can do a little bit of that. You can chop off two at a time, one at a time. And the one at a time you can snap that in half. There's just, it's, it's a very versatile candy bar. Yeah. The wife made an absolutely insane decision to buy a giant bowl of Halloween candy two weeks before. That's no good. Halloween. No bueno. like, what, what are we what, doing? Here? What, what, what kind did you get? Like the mixed, the good stuff. Yeah. It was like Twix and Snickers and all that type of stuff. It's like, I'm not I'm, even I'm a, a candy a, guy. It's, it's funny. I'm not either. Any. I used to be, I mean, I was a big as a kid, but you burn all that stuff off. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not a huge candy bar. I'm a big chocolate guy. So like I said, I'll, I'll, and I'm pretty good at moderation with it. I'm more of an ice cream guy anymore though. That's pretty much the only dessert I really seek out as well. well. But if there's a giant thing of Snickers and Twix next to you every time you walk through the room, it's pretty hard to just lay off for two straight weeks. I'll so, say that. So my real weakness, and, and I, I'm terrible, and I when my wife buys these, it's like, just go hide them from me because I, I I'm, and I just looked in the kitchen, and for whatever reason, because they must have been on sale or she's hopefully giving these to somebody, she bought three three well they're not even boxes but three things of oreos oh man yeah it's a it's a terrible it's a terrible weakness for me i could grab eight or ten with a glass of milk and not even bat an eye and then i look and go you pig you just there's no way you should have just done that honestly that's the fact that you could stop at eight or ten is pretty good if you don't eat the whole sleeve i feel like you're doing a pretty good job of self-control there i'm noting you the weird thing about oreos is again it's not something that i ever crave or think about like i don't ever go to the store and get Oreos. But if you're right, if they were in the house and I saw them, I'd yep. crush them. It's ter- It's a terrible weakness for me. Uh, another Halloween question here. Back in the day, was Skinny more likely to hit on the girl in the sexy nurse or librarian or little Bo Peep costume or more likely to hit on the girl in the scary costume? Uh, the scary costume isn't much of a turn on, in my opinion. I would certainly go for the for the former rather than the latter by far. Who wouldn't? Who would go with the scary one? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe you're looking for a certain really? personality type. Which one would you go with? Uh, I'm probably on the same side as you. I'm probably looking to see some thigh. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, pretty simple concept. Yeah. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah, it's like I mean, you know, that was that was the whole point of college. Basically, was to get to go to like two costume parties, see people in their nurse outfits. No, no, the, it, little Bo Peep. I like yeah, that little exactly. Bo Peep was thrown in here. That must have been a personal. That must have been a personal fantasy sure. for this guy. <laughs> I, I, that's my. That's my guess too. Is 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 somewhere along the way, my man saw that costume. Yeah, he said sexy nurse or librarian, which I was like, yeah, okay, I totally get it. And then or little Bo Peep. Yeah, or little Bo Peep. Where'd that come from? Sure, that's not like the it standard per- sexy Halloween pers- costume you think of, right? That had to come from personal experience. <laughs> that got, yeah, it's either personal experience or a deep rooted fantasy for this. Yes, guy. correct. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, actually, I'd like him to chime in. We had the guy last week respond to our request. If you're listening to this, sir, who sent this question in, yes. please reply. Yes. What's the deal with the little Bo Peep costume? You got a thing exactly. or did you have a thing already? He's been, he's been he's been begging the wife for years. We please just put this back on. Exactly. No. Hey, listen, hon. These guys just gave information to it. Please. Honey, I'm eight sizes bigger than I was in college. I don't care. Just throw it back on one time. It's going to come right off. Yeah, there's got to be some personal connection here. Please let us know. Uh, skinny, do you pay to select your seat on an airplane when you fly? I do not. It's funny. There's, there's a couple airlines where they ask you to do that. And, um, I will usually take the, the, the one in the back by the way. I'm a big back, back of the plane by the window guy. Unless I have like, well, some I mean, how, how, how are you, how can you be that guy if you don't even pick? I, I don't know. You just, just hope, want... you just hope that's where you end up. No, I pick that seat. It doesn't usually cost anything. That's usually the one they give you for free or it's the. Oh, okay. I thought you, I thought the idea was, I thought the idea was if you pay an extra 15 bucks or whatever, then you get to select which seat you would like, which open seat you would like. And if you don't pay, then they just throw you wherever. Yeah. It's paying to be up, up, up near the front. So you can get off the plane quicker. To me, it's like, if I don't have a connection to make, it's my destination city. You guys can get off and I'll get off last. I'm just going to get my rental car. I'm going to a hotel. I'm going to drink for the rest of the night with my friends. I, I If I'm 10 minutes later doing that, I'll survive. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That does. I don't care if I'm towards the front of the plane at all in terms of like getting off quicker. Plus, plus the other part, 
the other part back of the plane, and I've had it happen not very much because just about every plane it seems like I've flown in the last decade plus is filled to the brim. But occasionally, Rick, occasionally, if you choose that seat towards the back of the plane or in the back of the plane like I do, nobody else wants to go back there. So if there's a couple of empty seat potentialities, it's the middle seat back there, and you're like, great, more room for me too. Oh, I, I love that. Now, one time I was coming home from the Big East tournament, and I had picked a seat. I, I It was late in the process of like signing up for the flight or, or getting my tickets, and it was pretty much full, but for whatever reason – one of the seats that was left had a seat next to it that was still open. And I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to sit here. Cause it's like, we're talking, you know, hours before the flight as I'm looking at this thing. So I picked that seat and no, thankfully no one sits there. I'm something, Oh man, I got two seats, all this leg room and stuff. And then this fat ass across the aisle from me is like, Hey, can I sit all my baggage in oh. the, like underneath your seat and take up your extra leg room? Cause oh. I've got a CPAP machine in here that I can't store. Oh. And I'm like, then you're on the spot. What are you going to say? No, yeah, exactly. What do you say to that guy? Because it's like, absolutely not. I do not want you to do that. I want my extra leg room. I found a nice score here. I lucked out. The, the light is finally shining on me for once. And you, sir, are ruining that. But it's in the form of making me look like a bad guy if I say no. I will say the only time I literally did pay for this was uh, two or three years ago, maybe four years ago. The Bengals were playing out against the Raiders in Oakland. And uh, my best friend from high school has lived in Dallas his whole work life, basically worked, worked for American Airlines, which my father worked for. And um, so I was going to connect through Dallas and I was going to fly out with him and a couple of buddies um, to, to, uh, to San Francisco. And then we we're going to drive over to Oakland, which we did. But anyway, um, so he said, hey, man, I, I, I'm going to get a seat in business class. He goes, I know you're going to probably have to pay for it. I'm like, you know what? I will expense it. And it was the, it was well worth it, dude. The extra leg room, the free couple of cocktails, you know, I I got the I, I'm I'm usually pretty good when I when I travel about honestly finding the right fare and the right rate because I've done it my whole life. My mother and father worked for the airlines, my wife worked for the airlines. I'm pretty good at navigating through that stuff. I'm like, you know what? I am going to spend the extra seventy five bucks, and it was worth it. Well worth it. Yeah, I don't upgrade my seat ever, but I will spend the extra whatever fifteen dollars to select which seat I'm sitting in, so I can make sure I'm like in a window seat or sitting next to the person I'm traveling with or something like that. So not exactly sure how that question was meant, but that's how I looked at it. All right. Uh, who is worse skinny one, the guy talking on a phone in a stall while having loud bowel movements. That's okay. Uh, that sounds, I've never heard that, but again, it sounds like personal. This sounds like personal experience. Yeah, Keep going. Definitely. Two, the guy choosing the urinal right next to you when there are five plus empty ones and starts talking to you. Well, to me, those are two, two strikes against you right there. Uh, one, yeah, I hate I, when the guy comes up to me when there's a whole thing of urinals and he stands right next to me. And then two, if you're talking to me while I'm holding myself, I always think that's bad form. So, so I'm so conscientious about this. That even if I'm in a, I try to choose the furthest away stall. And then the worst part is if I hear somebody that's come next to me, like sitting in it, I wait for them to make the first move from a sound perspective because I just don't want to embarrass myself. And I'm really oh, you not mean like talking I can't or you mean peeing? No, I'm talking oh. about letting, letting one like a fly, you know, because you know when it's coming on and you know when it's going to be loud, dude. You just know it's like, come on, somebody please make a noise. Somebody flush a toilet or something, please. Well, please. They do. Then, this then is a gotta, urinal, man, not a stall. No, no. But the first part of that was the stall question. Oh, OK. Yeah, the stall question. But yeah, from a urinal perspective, if there's open urinals, you don't need to run up on me next to me. Dude, dude, take the one three down. Now, I will say occasionally you got the little junior, junior urinals and then it, it the adult size one if you're i don't even care so i'll go to the junior one sometimes if it's going to create space give me my space yeah well some of us need them to be that low um <laughs> three three guy comes out of stall and leaves without washing hands yeah i can't do good you can't do that you, you can't do that even if you fake it just go fake it for me fake it for <laughs> yeah. all of us. Well, you know how uh joe daneman does his uh one yes. thing at 1 a.m or whatever yes. did he do uh, this week? No, one time he did. Uh, this is probably years ago at this point, but I always think about it because I thought it was a very funny observation. Well, it was he called out like the guy who goes in and does the fake wash his hands where he's like he just flips on the water, puts his hands under the water for one second and then walks walks out. It's like, wh why do you do that? Why not just walk straight out without washing your hands? Like we all saw you only stick your hand under there for one second. You clearly didn't accomplish anything by doing that. So why didn't it was just the societal pressure of being needing to feel like you did it that made that guy go over there and stick his hands over there for a second, which is and hilarious. I, 
I got to be quite frank, it's really not that hard. You go over, you got the automatic soap dispenser. The water nowadays is pretty much automatic. It kicks on. You do it for a few seconds. There comes the automatic can roller thing of a job that gives you the 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 uh, the towel to clean, wipe your hands. It's not. It's really not that difficult. It's I, just I, not. I like the hot water. I think I do too. A little so hot water from China. It's a nice little uh, yes, refresh. Absolutely. Now absolutely. that being said, I will. I am not a hundred percent wash my hands if I pee type of guy. There are right. times where I just I just walk out. But not if I'm leaving a stall. Come on. You can't yeah, no leave question. a stall and not wash your hands. All right, no, so let's rank absolutely. them. You've got no. you've got guy talking on phone install while having loud bowel movements. You've got guy choosing the urinal right next to you and talking to you. And you've got guy comes out of stall and leaves without washing his hands. Rank them. Well, he's by far the worst. I'll go guy coming up on you in the urinal. The other one's more of a the guy in the stall issue. I it's mean, embarrassing for talking him. Talking on the phone. And, correct. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm laughing if that guy's next to me. I, uh, yes, correct. Like that, that, that always is funny when you're when it's like quiet in the bathroom and then someone has that loud noise and then you're like I'm not holding back I'm gonna laugh this is funny. Well, that's my point. That's why I like I said I gotta have like something else making noise before I can do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's understandable. You need a little conversation. Like, um, I would never. First of all, I'm not a road pooper. I only play home games in that regard anyway. But if you were someone who could poop in public and didn't like care about the crowd. A sporting event or whatever would be the best time because it's so loud in those bathrooms. Oh no! You can really just tear it up without anybody noticing. I will say, back in the day, there was no better place to go at Riverfront Stadium when it was cold than in the bathroom because the heater in there was just—it was on blast furnace. Yeah, those games that were ten degrees with the wind chill under zero, and people would just be piled up under the hand warmers. I I would sometimes just go in a stall just to warm up and just sit there, not do anything. Yeah, well, you're not the only one. There was a lot of people doing that back. I remember those lines for the bathroom would be so long. Oh yeah, huge. All right, that's all I got, Skinny. All right, good stuff. Good luck to everybody this weekend. Uh, we will be back uh, Monday night into Tuesday morning with the Bengals post game podcast after the Bengals Browns game. So be sure to listen for that. We'll be back with our weekly podcast uh, on our regular schedule next Thursday. But uh, appreciate those of you that send the questions in a day early uh, for hashtag Ask Skinny. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re edition presented by Ryan Kiefer, the first community movie.